I need to thank my friend Mr. Ben Lewis at Roman Home. Mr. Ben has designed a really awesome tent. It's a cross between a wall tent and a range teepee. It's built to take tough weather, high winds. Craftsmanship is amazing. And it's made right here in the USA. Right here in Utah, USA. And uh, right now, Ben has a special going on. You can save 500 bucks. And uh, go to romanhome.com. Roman spelled R-O-A-M-I-N. Romanhome.com. And uh, tell Ben hello. Tell him Ty sent you. All right, friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. Today I'm hanging out with my buddy Tom Peterson from E from Utah. And uh, this is the fellow I get all my rawhide gear from. He does a dang good job building hackamores, bozelles, ramel reins. I mean, you make all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we, you know, riatas. There's there's yeah. a lot of gear that's built out of, out of rawhide. I need to get a riata from you. That's my next... That needs to be the next one. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so, um, so Tom's a heck of a good guy here, and uh, I've kind of gotten to know him the last year or so, and uh, his his gear is super high quality, and he, I mean everything's handmade. And and last week I came here to pick up a couple of bozalitas you made for me, and and you kind of took me through the. You took me through the process of from getting that hide to, I mean, you make your own raw hide. You you go through the whole process. You cut your own string, you braid. I mean, that's really cool. So we're going to dive into that, though, in a minute. But to start with, Tom, if you'd like to, uh, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us about your family, your, you know, what you do, why you do it, and let's jump right in. Okay. So, yeah, as, as Ty said, my name's Thomas Peterson. Um I was born and raised here in, in central Utah on a little farm in Axdale. Uh, I've got my wife, Jamie, and three boys, Lantry, Lachlan, and Lassen, and uh, all three of them boys, you know, help in the process of, of doing heights. And they're they're from the ages 10 and down. So so that's a lot of fun. They, they really enjoy doing that with us. Uh, we have a little farm here in Ephraim. Uh, raised a few little ra- rodeo bulls and then uh, got some mules and some horses and and just enjoy the outdoors. And then I I do wildland fire in the summer. So a lot of times in the summer, you know, it's kind of hard to hard to braid because you know we're really busy doing that kind of stuff. But uh, but that's that's a little bit about me. Um, grew up grew up around horses and and equine and and thoroughly enjoy and think the process of of, of using gear that you make that's that's quality is 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 really fun and it's uh you know kind of a family tradition. That hopefully we can pass on, you know, for generations to come. So, I was just thinking about your kids' names. Say those again. So Lantry, Lachlan, and Lassie. Yeah, say, yeah. Try to say that ten times faster. <laughs> right. They're usually all Lantry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or a mix of the three, right? right. You, when you, especially if you're mad yelling at them. Yes. So, yes. well, cool. So, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about? Because you got horses, you got mules. Um, and that's kind of what drew us together a little bit. Our, we have a mutual friend, Vic Lott, mm-hmm. heck of a good man. He's a great, great guy, good horseman. Yep. And uh, I believe he was working a, a horse for you, right? Yep. Yep. He and, helped me start a, 
a little three-quarter draft. Yeah. And then yeah. his dad broke a lot of horses for us when we were younger. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how, that's how you and I met. And uh, anyways, and he'd actually talked about you a lot. He talks about you to everybody. He likes to show off your gear, nice. you know, your stuff, you know, and, and when he first told me about you, he'd give me some, some rawhide Hondas that the two of you kind of worked on whatever. Mm -hmm. and anyways, I've, I've, I've put them to use. <laughs> One of them's about burned up, you know, it's, it's, I, it's got, a, I got the work out of it for right. sure. So anyways, but, um, do you, uh, with, with your horses and your mules, you, you say you use a lot of your own gear, right? I mean, yeah. Are you, uh, do you, do you like to kind of start them in Hackamore or do you start them in snaffle bits or how do you like to do it? So, so originally I'm, I'm not a horse trainer. Um, Vic, Vic and his dad is the ones that kind of brought us up, you know, helping them with, with some Colts and some of the Colts that they broke for us. And, they, they've always been, you know, wanting to start them in a Hackamore. Mm -hmm. And the product that I've seen starting them in a Hackamore is is a much softer horse throughout the process than going, you know, straight into a snaffle and different things like that. So I think the process of, of breaking them with, with Hackamores and, and different things, I think it builds a softer animal, a more respectful animal, than it does just going straight to a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where Vic and I are pretty similar in our in our philosophies of training. But I start all mine snaffle bits, mm -hmm. snaffle bit. Then I go to the hackamore, then the two rein, then the bridle. So Vic is just a little bit more of the California style. I'm a little bit more of the Great Basin style, you know. Right. We both live in the Great Basin, though. Well. <laughs> just, you know. But uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But you know, it's just. As my uh, as one of my mentors, Martin Black says, you know, your sandbox, your sandbox, your rules, right? Yep. And uh, but it's pretty cool. We, you know, we all have most of us have the same end goal in mind, what we want to do. And I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, I got a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about, really. But you know, I like to go from a larger hackamore down to a smaller hackamore, and from a stiffer hackamore down to a softer hackamore. And so maybe we can talk a little bit about sizes a little bit. So would you like to explain, uh, I mean, the biggest hackamore you're building is a three quarter yep. and the smallest is little, we, what we would call would be like a, a pencil bozelle. Yeah. And, and some of those, I mean, you can get down to even smaller than a quarter inch, mm -hmm. but a lot of that's going to be, you know, personal preference probably on the smallest end on average, what people want is about a three eighths yeah. is, is right, right there where they want to go. You go any smaller than that. It's really hard to get a good natural core. That's going to be able to shape. Right. Um, you know, if you have a really soft one, they will shape, but it's not going to hold, hold its shape. To give these listeners an idea of the different sizes. I mean, generally speaking, we got three quarters. Mm-hmm. And then we got five eighths, five eights, right? Yep. Half inch, half inch. And then, uh, where are we at? Then um, three eighths, three eighths and five sixteenths. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's, that's your, pretty much your main size that's, that you're building, right? That's your, your basics. Um, sometimes you do get some orders for some bigger, even one inch, wow. but they're very few and far between, <laughs> you know, <laughs> putting a, yeah. putting a pipe around their that's, head. Huh? That's a big old piece of equipment. <laughs> Yes. That's a lot of ride for you, huh? Yes. Yep. And yeah. a lot of them have a, they're more of a flat rate too. Okay. You know, um, 
the reason behind behind them, I really don't know. Yeah, I think it's one one thing that I've noticed with rawhide is is it's there's a lot of geographical difference, kind of like when you talked about training horses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, when we go to these clinics and stuff, you got some braiders from Texas and Oklahoma, and and everybody's building the same product, but they're going about it a different way. Oh yeah. So there's a lot of different you know, varieties. So I think that kind of has a lot to do with it too. I see all kinds of gear all over the country. I mean, right. You know, I mean, and some people are a little confused on, you know, when when we're talking about a hackamore, when you and I are sitting here talking about hackamore for listeners out there that maybe don't know, we're when we say hackamore, we're talking about a bozal, a makati and a hanger. That's what makes up the hackamore. Uh, and so these tools that we're referring to, he's he, Tom specifically builds the uh, the, the bozal. Well, you make the hangers too. You yep. make your own hangers to go with it. But the bozal is what we're kind of referring to on these sizes. Yep. Uh, so when we're talking hackamore, we're not talking um, these limp side poles. You know, we're not talking definitely not talking the mechanical hackamore. Right. We're talking the traditional bozal, makati, and a hanger. Right. Yep. So. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about. Um, I didn't prep you on all these questions; they're just kind of coming to me. We we're good, but a little bit of the history of of these hackamores, like uh, maybe a little bit of history of kind of where they come from. But also, I want to know your history of how you how you got into this because this is an art. Mm-hmm. This is not not just a a career. This is a art, and uh, I mean, it's, it takes a lot of passion. You do a good right. job, so. Anyways, let's start with a little bit of history. Kind of tell folks maybe where these hackamore stuff originated, and uh, let's go from there. So, so it's it's pretty it's pretty cool because if you look back at the the history of just rawhide itself, um, they have they've traced it clear back to the Morris people, mm-hmm. and and where they've used it with with the equine and different things like that. So. You know, most of the the traditional that I know come out of out of the Spanish, the vaquero lifestyle, and then and then bled into the into us. But you know, my history with rawhide, I had a I had a mule, and me and him have a love hate relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I have my stuff, he hates it, and he ruins it. Okay. <laughs> so I, I had this this set of braided reins that I really really liked. And, and they weren't an expensive set. They weren't a, a fancy set. They were just a set that I, I really liked. And, mm-hmm. and one day he decided that he was going to, to ruin them for me. And I have a, I have a friend that's, that's braided for a long time, Dan Ames. Is this the set we got hanging behind us here? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And they're still not fixed, yeah. nor they probably won't. They, I keep them hanging in my shop to kind of remind me. Yeah. We're, we're here in Tom's shop here. So it, he's got rawhide hanging everywhere, gear all over the place. It's pretty cool. So sorry, go ahead. So you, Yes. Yeah, so he'll he, bust your reins. He, he busts my reins and, and I got a friend, Dan Ames that, that braids. And, uh, I asked him, I says, can you, can you fix these reins for me? And he says, oh yeah, no problem. We can fix those. So I, I get them to him and all I get back is a bunch of strings cut and, and a book. And he's like, we're going to, you're going to build a new set of reins. We're not going to fix them old raggy, <laughs> raggy reins. He says, give up on those old ones. Let's just right. make a new set. Yeah. Okay. And, and then, uh, so he helped me build that, that first set of reins that I built. And that's, that's probably been 15 years ago, I guess. 
Sweet. And, uh, and then he, he took me to a bunch of these, uh, gatherings where, you know, like Bill Black and Jay Adcott and Brett Haskett and a lot of them braiders, you know, help us. And we've, he's, he's taken me to multiple of those, those clinics. And that's, that's kind of where I got my start. And it was, it was really frustrating. And, and maybe you guys see this in the, in the training world. When I first started, it took the first couple of years were nothing but ruining rawhide and building <laughs> the ugliest things that you wouldn't show your yeah. dog, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it, until it, until it started to click, you know, and, and then it really become a passion. Uh, originally I just wanted to be able to have some nice gear and, uh, then it become, it become a passion that, that you try and learn more about and perfect. And, and that's where, that's where really I got the drive to, to put the time in, to learn, to learn to braid. One of my mentors says you, you need to be willing to ruin a few horses to make a good one. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of, you know, when I first tell that to people, they go, Oh, and that kind of, cause it kind of sounds bad. You know, I'm like, well, there's going to be some sacrifices, you know, because you can't make that finished product that is just amazing and a work of art, whether it's horse mule or, or your rawhide gear without going through the bumps and the bruises and the, you know, messing up. I'll yes, them for sure. So, <laughs> yes, and and yeah, and just being willing to to accept that that you're never going to you're never going to perfect it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always at least in in rawhide braiding, there is always going to be improvement, you know. And and finding multiple people that you really look up to, like you know, like a lot of your your clinics and stuff that come to you that can can learn from hopefully some of your mistakes and, and, and build on their own oh, yeah. stuff is, that's is why big. I do, that's why I do the clinics is to help the people learn from my mistakes. Right. You know, life is too short to learn from mistakes. Yep. You got to learn from somebody else's mistakes. if You're going to get ahead. You know, somebody told me once that, uh, you know, the key to being a good rawhide breader is knowing how to, how to hide the flaws. <laughs> <laughs> Can, can you make them disappear? Right. Right. Well, that, that goes back to one of the things you hear a lot of the rawhide braiders say was the Indians believed that as long as they left a mistake in something that they built, it was letting out the evil spirit. Okay. So, you know, if you can hide your flaw, but still allow that evil spirit to escape your product, mm-hmm. you're pretty good. You're set. So, <laughs> I mean, it's on purpose. Right. Right. <laughs> no. And that's, and that's just, that's just it. Um, and, and maybe you can equate this to training a little bit, but your rawhide gear, every time you, you start something, you've learned so much, even, even after your 30th Hackamore, mm-hmm. you know, them, them under bridles that I, that I built for you and, and that, uh, gal in Colorado, I probably did five or six different cores to get the product that you guys wanted, mm-hmm. which which was really valuable because I had to learn how to do it, but I had to be willing to, to mess up a couple, you know, to try and get what we needed. Now, a lot of folks don't realize them. I want to talk about the cores a little bit, because that makes a huge difference in shaping and the quality of the hackamore for sure. But a lot of us don't realize that wait, you got to braid the core. Yes. You, you say so you, you got to braid twice, you, you know, yep. I mean, it, and, and uh, you know, you don't just grab some, like a lot of guys will just, I don't know. I've seen 
I've seen all kinds of cores when I've cut into hackamores, mm-hmm. like rolled up newspapers. Yep. And I've seen uh, hoses, like a like a rubber hose, like just a chunk of garden hose. Yeah, like, like yeah, that that was the core to it. And like, well, no wonder it won't shape. There is no shape for it to. Yep. It's just a limp noodle, you know, it's, and it's all crooked or whatever. And yep. so, anyways, I I want to I want to get to that. Well, I guess I guess let's just hit on it now, so I don't forget. So, tell us a little bit about. Uh, and I guess we can dive into the building of this, these Bozells a little bit, but what does it take to have that good core? What do you, what do you do? I mean, you don't have to dive into like mm-hmm. deep description because a lot of these folks won't have an idea, right. but tell us a little bit about the process, uh, what you're looking for. Okay. So, so when he talks, when we talk about the core, um, that is what is inside your Bozell and anybody that that is building quality products is going to use a rawhide core. So they'll either braid like a four strand or even maybe twist a rawhide core. What that does is it allows once that Bozell gets, gets broken and shaped, it'll allow it to maintain that shape and that, and that same feel. Um, there's a lot of, uh, of different ways to build cores um, as Ty talked about. You'll, you'll find steel cable wire cores, um, different things like that in, in some of the Bozells that you're able to buy at like feed stores, but that won't hold the shape and, and maintain the life. It's always going to have just that triangle shape to it. So, so the core, the, the foundation on what, what the, whatever we're building really reflects the end product. And even though it's hidden, it would be really easy to use to use something that you could just go buy at the hardware store and braid over. Um, it would save hours and hours in every single Bozell. But the quality of product that you would be getting and the life of it would be, mm-hmm. you know, it wouldn't be worth doing it handmade. It would, it just wouldn't be worth it. These aren't just, these aren't just something to put over the nose. Right. With, you know, uh, we're not just looking for a, for just something to put around that nose and pull them around. And, uh, in my travels <clears throat> all over the place, I see a lot of folks that they're, they're interested and I'm not, I'm not dogging on these people because mm-hmm. I, I understand they're just maybe a little naive. I don't understand, but they'll go to the feed store and they'll buy a, a Bozal and it's the traditional, uh, maybe I should say not traditional teardrop shape, just the teardrop. It's yep. not shaped up and you know, by the time we get them shaped up, I wouldn't call them so much as a teardrop. I was, I was call them a more of an oval, mm-hmm. a long oval, right? Yep. And uh, so the shaping of the hackamore, I mean, that for for me from the training aspect, that is critical. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you know, my expertise is the functionality of that tool, right? Your your expertise is to make it. My expertise right. is to use it. <laughs> yes. So, so, like when I'm looking at it, and I showed you some pictures last week of kind of how I like them to fit and you know, how I want them to shape up that, you know, around that nose or whatever, but I, I want contact all the way around there. And when they come, if you, you know, if you pick up one at a feed store, it's, it's going to be that teardrop shape. So what you're going to have, they're going to be real tight around the gel on the bottom. And then they're going to be real wide at the top where you have gaps above the nose and around the nose. And it's, it's not going to be a good fit there. To where the only contact you're getting is the very top of the nose and and the bones of the jowl. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, 
that shaping, it's a big deal. And um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about shaping or how to, how to shape it. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. If you've, if you've gotten a, a, a quality, a quality bozelle with some quality rawhide in it, there's, there's a couple ways that I would suggest shaping it. And, and one of those would be if it's brand new and it hasn't been shaped. Um, when I send mine, I try and put them on a shaper and, and have them pretty well shaped for the customer before they get there. Yeah. That way they've got a decent start to, to getting them shaped. Um, but you could take that bozelle and, and hold the heel knot out of a bucket of water for say just five minutes or a couple, three or four minutes, just to let that rawhide soak up a little bit of moisture. Um, one really easy way to do it would be to take a, a piece of two by four and just cut it square so that it was two by two by two, round your edges a little bit and put that bozelle over it and then tie your hanger, squeezing that nose button in. And most of the time, if you measure the inside of your nose button um, from your nerve knots to your nerve knots, four and a half inches is where you want to start that that shape. So that's that's one way to do it. If it was something that was really, really teardropped and you had to work, you know, a good shape in it and then tie it, let it sit for a couple days on that shaper, um, a coffee can, anything like that. You can put them around and then tie that nose button down to help to help build that shape is is a great way to to go about it. OK, once it's shaped, I mean, for, for my hackamores, I put I put them on a block whenever I'm not going to use them mm -hmm. prolonged. So like if I'm, if I'm done using that hackamore, I'm not going to put that on a mule again for a year. I, I kind of, I, I just store it kind of with a block, not tied tight, but right. tied in the general size that I want it to keep. Yep. Um, and I hang them. I just hang them like that on the wall. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, because if you don't do that, it seems like that rawhide will kind of go back. Yeah. At times. And the quality of the, of the, the build it makes a difference in that too. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and, and when I shape them, I'm doing it with that core still semi tempered and the string semi tempered so that it will maintain that longer. Mm -hmm. But if it's not used and you're just got it hanging, it is going to naturally go back to yeah. that. Gravity's going to pull. Yep. And I make some, and maybe Ty can, maybe you could put it on your website or something, but I, I build some little round blocks that that's exactly what I do is I just throw them in my hackamore, tie it if I'm not going to use them for a while. Mm -hmm. um, every one that I ship, I send one of the, you know, the blocks with them that, nice. uh, that you could, and you just take a piece of wood and just cut it out. Just copy the one I got, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's simple. So. Yeah. Shaping is, I think that's, a lot of people don't realize that you got to do that and you got to right. keep doing that. It's not like your snaffle bit that you just, I mean, it's the same bit that you had a year ago and nothing changes in the snaffle bit. Maybe a little right. rust, which isn't bad, but you know. I, I always kind of equate it to when I get my new cowboy hat because mm -hmm. I order I order my hats from the Amish, which make amazing hats. Mm -hmm. But man, when I first put them on my head for the first week and a half, my head hurts. Yep. <laughs> it's, yep. it's until it starts to shape to your head. And, and I always think about it kind of with, with the horse, you know until until that's shaped and fits it's it's not going to be the most comfortable thing in the world so if you don't mm -hmm. maintain that shape a little bit for them you're probably adding a little bit more stress than they that oh, you yeah. need to so 
Well, especially when they come so narrow down by the hill knot yep. around that jowl, that's 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 bad, you know. Right. Uh, for your, I'm talking about per, for your performance because mm-hmm. that's real sensitive down there, and you know if that's squeezing all the time, you know that's not good. And one of the purposes of so I, I adjust my hackamore, my Makati, the same as a curb strap in my rattle bit. So I like my top wrap of my Makati to be about two two fingers below the jaw there. Mm-hmm. And when I pick up on it, if I was to pick up on both reins in the hackamore, like to ask for some collection or something, that wrap makes contact with that jaw, just like the curb in the bridle bit. And that's how we start introducing the curb there. In the snapple bed, I don't introduce. I mean, they have a curb, but it's loose. It doesn't do anything. There's no, there's no contact there. But in the hackamore, you start to have that a little bit, and and so that needs to be to me that bottom there. It just needs to be just right on the shaping and on your wraps to to start engaging that. Yes, and Vic Vic showed me something pretty cool, and I'd I'd never thought about this when when he helped me start that that little mare that he helped me start. Um. I was probably quite a bit heavier handed than I needed to be with, with the Bozelle. And so he had me actually hold the Bozelle in my hands while he sat on the fence and kind of lifted a rein. And it was, it was pretty amazing to be able to hold, to hold that Bozelle where it would be sitting on a horse and have somebody else move it Mm -hmm. and feel how much real, you know, movement and life is in that, that little bit of, of movement in your hand. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do that to, to a lot of people too, you know, especially when they're a little heavier, like you're saying, j- just to show them, just to illustrate to them, this is, this is what, how much action is happening. If I just go like this, this is, you know, and just move my fingers on that Makati or on the rain, how much that affects the feel right. down there. And the most common thing I see people making mistakes in the Hackamore is uh, a, a constant pull. Like they just reach down and it's a constant pull where I like to have a little bit more bumping, just little, little vibrations in the rain. And, and this kind of goes back to you, how you build it. We talked last week, we talked about the, um, you know, the, the nose band and the, or the, uh, yeah, the nose knot there. The nose button. The nose button. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. The nose button and that, and, and, you know, the length of it and how it's built. Cause that rolls up on top of the nose there, you know, the engagement down there by the jaw. I mean, that little bump, it makes all the difference in the performance there. And so, you know, you do a good job at balancing those so, so nicely. Um, I want to kind of shift a little bit here, but before we do, we need to take a quick break and thank some sponsors. We've got a lot of good people that support this. So let's take a quick break, Tom. And hey. when we come back, we'll, uh, I'll hit you with some more questions. Sound good? Absolutely. Hey, friends. I want to thank our amazing sponsors over at the Boyd Ranch Mule Days. I've been going down to the Boyd Ranch just outside of sunny Wickenburg, Arizona uh, for the past couple of years. I've had a lot of fun doing clinics down there, and I can't wait to go back in March. Boyd Ranch Mule Days is now the entire week of March 7th through the 13th, 2022. And of course, my clinic is three days long. That's the 7th through the 9th. Uh, along with my good friend, Mr. Chris Clark, who is a Grand Canyon 
veteran. He's been down there, been packing many years, very experienced, and a great teacher. You'll enjoy learning from Chris as well. You know, they also got a driving clinic down there. And, uh, you know, I don't know a lot about driving. And uh, this is going to be fun to, to see what's going on over there. There's some, they're covering some basic harnessing and driving single and double. You know, after three full days of clinicking between my clinic, the packing clinic, and the driving clinic, then it's time to get out on the trail. They got short, medium, long rides uh, going on and also an ultra-long wilderness ride they offer. Uh, they got their famous trail obstacle course. They, they got their all-out mule ramble going on. They're giving away ribbons, prizes, and I think they've even talked me into being the announcer for the event. So I'm going to have a blast there for sure. Every night, there's, there's food, good food. Uh, they got concerts going on, live music and dancing, and it's going to be a ton of fun, family-friendly, and I just can't wait to be there. If you want to come to Boyd Ranch Mule Days, I'd love to see you there. Go visit boydranch.org for more information and to apply to join us. Hey, I can't wait to see you there. Looking forward to it. Okay, friends, we're back here with uh, Mr. Thomas Peterson, top-notch rawhide braider. And uh, we're hanging out in, in the shop down here. And having some fun. So, Tom, uh, kind of where I want to go to now is I want to talk about um, measuring for size of the hackamore. This is probably the most confusing part for somebody that wants to buy one. Because it's not just like, I mean, I have never ordered a custom-sized snaffle bit or bridle bit before. You right. know, just a typical five or five and a quarter, like snaffle bit mouthpiece, that's it. Yep. I don't, I've never yet to this date ordered a custom size snaffle. Um, I've ordered custom snaffles, but not custom size. Right. <laughs> okay. Now when it comes to your bozals, I mean, that's a whole different ball game, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and now you can, you can get away with, uh, some that are a little big, um, because you just take another wrap with your right. Makati. You don't want them too big because you know, you don't want like, you want to keep that balance. Yeah, it's got to be yeah. a balance. You don't want this giant hill knot and, uh, you know, the bars of that hack or that bozal hanging down, you know, eight inches below their jaw. Right. Because then, yeah, you're right. The balance of that, it, it, you kind of lose the quality you're looking for. There's too much action or too much play or too much weight there. Um, on the other hand, too small. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory. You can't get wraps in there. It's squeezing. And you need to have the action in the hackamore. Like it needs to be able to move back a couple of inches, you know, forward and back. You need that action. That's where we do. That's where we kind of vibrate the reins. We kind of bounce the reins there and tip them that way. Right. Yep. So if somebody calls you, this is important, right? So yes. what's the average, in your experience, the average mule, um, if somebody calls you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to, I want a five eighths hackamore. And by the way, when we when we're referring to these three quarter five eighths, we're referring to the bars, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the nose button because the nose button can be bigger, round, or smaller. And there and there's a lot of personal preference in in like the nose button. Yep. You know what people want and different stuff like that. But the sizes when we talk about these sizes, as far as three quarters, five eighths, half inch, we're talking about the bars. Yep. But in this question, we're talking about the entire length of 
the bozal, right? So yes. let's let's explain this to people that are confused because we can't just go down and buy just some just something off the shelf having no idea. Right. And there's, and there's so much, so much difference. So I think, I think it's really important to, to understand when you're ordering a Hackamore, especially if it's something that somebody's already built and say they've got a, a 10 inch and an 11 inch and, and even up to 12 inch, whatever, whatever you're looking for. If, if you take that Bozal and you take the nose button and you measure from the inside where the hanger would be. So from hanger to hanger, and you've squeezed that in to four and a half inches. And then you measure from the inside of the nose button to the top of the hill knot. That's going to give you your length. So we want to squeeze it to where those nose, where you connect the hanger to four inches. Yep, four and a half. Four and a half. And we want to measure from the bottom of the nose button to the top, to the top of, of the hill knot. That, that distance right there. That's how you went. So if I say I want 14 inch, that's what you're going to measure to fit that piece. Okay. And, and if you're, you know, if you're, if you're getting, getting a a Bozal built by somebody, um, that individual, hopefully, and they should, you know, take the time to have you measure around that mule's nose exactly where you're going to want that Bozal to hang. And this is where some of the personal preference comes in on, Yes. The training side of it, because like me, I like my my Bozal to fit about midway from the corner of the eye to the top of the nostril. Mm-hmm. About midway, give or take a little, whatever, either way. Yep. Right? But some people might want to hang it lower. Some people might want to hang it higher. So this is where a lot of glitches can come in for you, for, for the yes. maker, right? Yes. So, so somebody calls you and says, Hey Tom, I'm going to measure. What do you tell them? So I, I tell them the, the exact same advice that, that Ty just talked about, especially on, on a mule. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, the horse people and horse trainers, there's a whole bunch of different things, but, um, I had a gal that's, that's going to one of your clinics order a Bozal, um, just a couple weeks ago. And most of the time when you measure a mule, they're going to come out 19 to 21 inches when you measure around that, around that nose where you would hang it, which is going to be about a 10, 10 and a half inch Bozal. And are you it's, wanting them to measure it pretty tight? Like take a fabric type of yep. uh, measuring uh, string yep. in, in with, so with pretty tight contact around there? Yep. Okay. And then, and then if, is what I've done is I've got a couple papers that, that show, you know, if it measures 19, this is, this is usually what fits fits that so we can get it pretty close but this one was 27 inches the big old jug huh <laughs> that's the biggest <laughs> thing i've ever built it was it was huge yeah um so you know we we went back and forth and and i actually just sent her center one because i i really don't know how big that one's got to be you know so she's going to put it on and and then we're going to build the foundation from there but but i i would i would say if you're going to buy a quality product hopefully that that braider is going to put the time in to help you figure out exactly what you're looking for, mm-hmm. you know, by, by sending pictures back and forth or whatever. But if you're just going to order something off of, off of the internet, it's important to know how to measure, you know, that, that Bozelle, um, lengthwise. And, and if you have, you know, a, a cheap Bozelle that, that doesn't even fit, but it's just one sitting around in the barn, you know, you can, you can always put them on and see how it fits squeeze that in and then order something custom 
you know, off of, off of that or whatever, but knowing how to measure that and knowing what the different sizes are is, is super important. Oh yeah. Cause this is, I mean, we're not just buying a brush at the tax store. That's a right. couple dollars and we don't care. Yeah. This is, this equipment is expensive and it's high quality or should be, mm-hmm. you, you know, if you're paying good money, it should be high quality. And so, yes, you know, you, you go buy something and then, then fit right. That that's an expensive wall ornament there, you know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, well, that's good. Uh, cause I, I know a lot of listeners, you know, when it comes to measuring and ordering, I mean, they're, it's, it's a little intimidating, you know? And this is part of the reason we've talked in the past that, you know, ordering this kind of, you got to call, you got to call and you need to talk to a human being. Yes. Right. Like they need to call you and discuss with you so that you can communicate. Uh, And these days people are so shy. They just want to click a few buttons. Right. You know, on the internet and have it, you know, Amazon prime, drop it off at their doorstep. Show up next day. But, but this, this type of gear, you know, it's, it's pretty important that you get it right. You know, the other thing too, in this, and, and you've noticed this, I, I know you have, but in this tradition, this type of training, guys like me, we're, we're particular buggers, aren't we? Yeah. Like we, we, we're, you know, we're, we're, uh, we all have our own little training, you know, uh, ideas and, and the, how we like things mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and you hear a lot of, well, that's how we've always done it. Right. And stuff. And so you're, you're so good to accommodate all us weirdos that are, that are <laughs> like that, you know, that just so particular. Um, but, and that kind of leads me to the next part here. Um, you know, we've been talking, okay, this is how you measure for your hackamore. This is how the sizes kind of work here. Um, what if I'm at a trade show, you know, one of these, you know, there's, there's some good trade shows these days. Yeah. You show up and there's some good builders. And I mean, you go to some, you do, you know, and, mm-hmm. And uh, I show up and I'm, I'm seeing this gear, you know, surface, le- uh, surface level. Maybe I don't have a great idea of what it looks like. I mean, it looks pretty to me on the right. table there. But how do I know if I, if I pick up that bozole off the table just from somebody, and I don't know who it is, mm-hmm. uh, how do I know it's good gear? You know, what am a, I looking for? A, a couple ways is, is, is just the weight in it. Um, a lot of the ones that are, you know, getting produced overseas and, and shipped here. And I have no idea how they're braiding them. They must have machines or something, but, but the, the weight in it, you know, it, does it, does it feel, does it feel solid? A lot of them, like you talked are, are filled with just, you know, denim or, or just a, a steel core. You know, if you pick one up and it feels like you're holding a chunk of rebar, you probably really are. You probably are. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, and then yeah. look at the hide itself. If, so rawhide is is an imperfect product. It's that's that's just how it is. It's from an old dead cow that's that's got scars and, and different colors and stuff in it. So if you if you look at that that bozal and and it's all perfect perfect white and the strings are are exactly perfect, that's probably bleached rawhide. And, and bleached rawhide isn't going to stand up the test of time. You're not going to give that to your kids to give to their grandkids. And as a braider, that's, that's our goal is to have our stuff around like Louis Ortega. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want somebody a hundred years from now to say this was a, a Tom Peterson Bozal and yeah. I got it from my grandpa. I don't even know who he was, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so if you look at that hide and you can see some of the, the natural color in it and the color changes throughout the braiding, 
you can tell that that's, that's a handmade rawhide. Somebody has built that rawhide and took the time to, to do it, you know? So just the aesthetics of it. And maybe, maybe there's a way we could post a couple pictures sometime and, and show some of the different. Yeah. Before different we're done here, I want to take some pictures and I'll post it. When I put this podcast up, I'll post some pictures with it. Uh-huh. So that'd be cool. Yeah. And then ask, ask questions. If you're at a trade show and it's just somebody there that's just peddling a bunch of gear, um, ask them questions. You know, what are, what are the cores? They should be able to answer and tell you, Hey, this is a rawhide twisted core. Um, this is the different sizes. And you might not even know really what they're talking about, about the core, but, but if they say, I don't know, they've got good cores, you know, ask them, ask them some questions. Anybody that's taken good quality gear to a trade show, that's getting it from somebody knows the braider knows the people that's building it. And they should be able to, to give you some information on, on, you know, what it's built out of. And that's, that's one of the biggest things I think is just knowing how to look at it and seeing how it's built. Um, you know, and, and hopefully we can get some pictures up to help. Yeah, that'd be kinda, good. Or, or something to help yeah, I like clarify that. that a little bit. Yeah. And you know, uh, and granted there's, there's going to be some, some people at these trade shows that maybe buy your mm-hmm. buy gear and they're selling it. Yeah. You know, secondhand, uh, is that the right word? Secondhand? Yeah. I don't know. But yep. You know what I mean? They're just dealers and, you know, selling it for mm-hmm. whoever built it, but, but, uh, but they should be able to refer you to who built it and give you some more right. background on it. And, you know, uh, as you was talking about trying to figure out, you know, how this is built, the cores and everything and, and how it feels, that reminded me to mention, you know, there are different, um, I don't know what I say, density or, or firmness or softness in, in a bozal, depending on, um, what you want. Right. Like yes. I asked you, remember, uh, you know, when you built that three eighths for me, I said, mm-hmm. I'd like it a little stiffer. Yep. Um, I don't want the, I don't want it really, you know, supply. Mm-hmm. I wanted it a little stiffer and, um, and, and, and there's some, you know, I could say, Hey, Tom, I want you to build me a three quarter really stiff. And you could, and I could say, build me a three quarter soft. Um, you also not only do you, you braid rawhide, but you, you do kangaroo hide. Yep. So talk a little bit about the, the kangaroo hide stuff. Okay. So, so rawhide in the West is, is a good product. Um, rawhide in Florida and, and some of the places <laughs> not is, so is much. not a good product. So yeah. When, when you braid rawhide, you have to, you have to soak it in water to, to have it temper. Otherwise it's, it's just like plywood. Mm-hmm. It's just stiff. Kangaroo, you're able to braid without tempering it. So therefore it doesn't bring in the moisture and different things. So if, if you're, if you're living somewhere where you're going to be, you know, in the, in the mud and the rain and, and it's just humid, you know, with, with kangaroo, you're not going to have issues like waxed kangaroo. You're not going to have issues with mold and, and it's going to hold its, hold its shape better than, than being in a lot of humidity. Um, kangaroo is, is amazing, especially if you're looking for something, uh, super pretty. You know, if you're, if you're more looking for something to go to a show in, you can, you can throw color in it. You know, you can do that with rawhide too. I kind of, I kind of refuse to, because I like the traditional, Mm-hmm. rawhide you know i like to throw color but i don't like to throw bright greens and turquoise yeah. and fluorescent pink where 
with kangaroo, you can you can do that. So if my daughter's call you want a pink hackamore, you ain't gonna do it. Let's do it at a kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but there's yeah. kangaroo rawhide also. Right. Um. So kangaroo, you know, has its has its place, mm-hmm. and and I, I would argue that quality wise and function wise, with a good built quality product, you're gonna achieve the same thing with the rawhide as you was would a a waxed kangaroo. Yeah. Um, but just the different areas and culture and, and the geographics have a lot to play in that too. That's huge. And, and I feel like a lot of people maybe, uh, maybe forget that, you know, you're right out here in the West raw hide is prevalent horse hide or, uh, horse hair Makati, yep. uh, style range are, are prevalent. But when I go visit my pals back in, you know, Virginia, I mean, a lot of them hate that horsehair macotties i mean they don't hold up you know they're they're right. always the, the humidity just they're just soggy it, yeah it's a different feel there you know and so you know where you're at makes a big difference and historically you know if you follow back these traditions of of the hackamore it's always in dry climate it's not yeah you know and historically making the process of making rawhide does that's what i want to get into next takes a dry climate it, it's probably really difficult to make that rawhide to develop that rawhide into your string and stuff. If it was humid. Right. I mean, it wouldn't, what you'd have to have some dehumidifier in your shop or something, you know? Yes. So let's, let's talk about that uh, process a little bit of, um, of, of, I mean, cause like I mentioned at the beginning of the show here, you do it all yourself here. So, so maybe even, because Vic said, if, if if I ever had a calf or something, you'd come out and skin it, and yep. <laughs> so you you cut you go from the skinning to handing the customer that finished product. So take us a little step by step through that whole deal. So hey, okay. all right, I'm 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 ready to butcher my steers. Call you so you can come get the hides. Yes. Then what? So so the whole process starts. With, with me and my kids hunting down ranchers and looking for dead cows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the ones we want. Um, you can get a lot of hides from butchers, but all of those little knife cuts oh, yeah. create weak spots in, in your hides. So so what we want is is the old dead cow or the, the day-old calf that didn't make it is, is really what we're looking for. So we'll we'll go out and skin skin that cow, bring that hide home, and then you've got to flesh the hide. So you'll take the hide and you got to get all of the the meat, the fat, the membrane, and everything off of that hide. There's there's a lot of parts of that hide that aren't aren't no good, like the flank. Um, you know, if you feel your horse's flanks and stuff, you can feel that kind of soft skin. And if you're braiding and you get that flank, it's going to be really stretchy and and not be a good product. So once you've got that hide fleshed, then there's two different um, types of raw hide that you can make from that. One of them's a limed hide and the other one's a scraped hide. So we'll talk real quick about the, the scraped hide. So we've got the hide, we've got it cleaned. Then is what we do is we take and we stretch it out. We put it in a in a square or a circle and just let it stretch like you would see in the pictures that the Indians did. Um, then you'll take your pocket knife or whatever and you scrape that hair off. And that takes, you know, hours to sit and scrape all that hair off with a pocket knife. Oh, yeah. Those those kind of hides we'll use for like a riata, um, something that we want to, to break in and, and different things like that. So that's that's your scraped hide. 
and then to build bozals, um, reins, different things like that. A lot of times we'll use the lined hide just because the process is a little bit quicker. Um, you'll take that hide and then you put it in a, in a solution of lime and wait for it to rot just to the point to where the hair will slip out. So then you get all the hair off of it and then you've got to take and put it in vinegar to neutralize it so that it stops, you know, the rotting process. And then you've got to stretch it again. So then you'll stretch it and let it dry. And then from there, we'll take and cut it into like half inch or three quarter inch soga. And you can get anywhere from, oh, I'd say 200, 300 feet of half inch soga off of a, an average cow. Wow. And then from there, you'll take and you got to split it so that it's all even. Um, cut all of your individual strings out and bevel them and then stretch them <laughs> and, then, and then temper them again. And then you can go to go to braiding. So there's it, it's quite a process from cow to product. Oh, yeah. And that's so cool, though. Tom. You do it all. Yep. Like I know there I know for a fact there's a lot of guys in this business that just buy string. Yep. And of course, that's even at that point, they buy some string that they still got to prep that to braid. So I, mm -hmm. I, I get that that's still a process, right? Like yep. they can't just pull out this dried rawhide and start going, going to it. Right. They, right. Uh, they still got to prep it. And we'll talk about that a little bit too, of, of your, you know, cause you, you've told me that you gotta, you gotta braid on rawhide time, not, yes. not your time, rawhide time. Right. Yep. Um, yep. if your rawhide's too wet, you've got to let it dry out and, and pretty well kind of start over. Yeah. If it's too dry, you got to get moisture in it and bag it up, kind of like I was doing when you came in this morning, mm -hmm. and and wait till it's ready to, to work. Rawhide time. Yes, <laughs> yes, and and talking about you know guys the guys and gals, there's a lot of uh, people that do buy their own rawhide. Um, I supply quite a few people with string and stuff that braid and mm -hmm. and that, and they're they're paying anywhere as upwards of fifty cents a foot for string. So they're already into their product, you know, quite a bit. People talk about the price of, of rawhide. Um, so the guys that are guys and gals that are buying their string are already into that, a good chunk of change. Oh yeah. And then the amount of time that goes into it, it's, it's, it's pretty intensive. So, so when, so when people complain about your prices or your hackamore, that's why you just smile. It's right. Like, okay. Right. <laughs> You, you put in so many hours. I mean, yes. just incredible. Um, if you could, so let's, let me ask this. How, how many foot of string is in like, say, uh, your average, you know, five eighths hackamore. How, how many foot would you have an idea? Yes. Let me, I can tell you exact in two seconds. Because you got here, you got you got your official stuff here. Yes, you can tell us if you want to. When you're uh... so, for instance, um, just in just in the body of a of a sixteen strand hackamore, there's a hundred and four feet of string just in the body itself. That's not your heel knot and your that, nose button. Yep, that's no heel knot, nose button. Um, you know, your side ties, anything like that. It's mm -hmm. 104 feet. Wow. Of string. Um, in the, uh, the nose button alone, there's 38 feet. If you go six strand and 
most of my nose buttons are at least eight strand or more, which is an actual 32 strand nose button. Wow. So you're, by the time you're done braiding that body, the hill knot, your nose button, you, you've about used a, a hide. Yeah. Yeah. You're at 191 feet. And you said you get about 200 or you could get about 200, whatever of, of half inch. So your strings coming out of that, I would say you can get two, maybe three, um, bozals out of one hide. It's a lot of work. Yep. So how much, so if you, uh, maybe you've thought about it, maybe you know exactly, but how much in hours, how much time from when you show up at the, at the ranch and you skin that cow, to when you hand that customer that hackamore, how, how many hours do you think you got into that beast? You, maybe you don't want to know. I've, I made the mistake <laughs> of counting hours one time when I was training mules, right? Figuring out what I made per hour as a mistake. Yes. <laughs> maybe you and, don't want to know. <laughs> you know, to, to be honest, I, I have never added that up. I, I know some guys that have, maybe added you that shouldn't. Up and, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's more of a, it's more of something I'm passionate about. Oh yeah. And, and really enjoy doing. Yep. Um, if I really added up the amount of hours, pretty sure I've paid quite a few customers. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I added up the hours. Yeah. Yeah. But it's something, my job is, is a, is a super stressful job. Um, doing wildland fire, you know, and we have, yeah, that's what you do for your main gig is wildland fire. And you're a, yep. You're the fire marshal for San Pete County, right? Yep. And I, and I travel all over the Western United States, you know, helping manage, manage fires and and different stuff. And if I didn't have this to, uh, to kind of go to and, and, and thoroughly enjoy putting my time into, uh, I don't think I would be able to do it because. Oh yeah. If you're looking at this from your, from your bottom line. Yes. It'd be a different story, wouldn't it? Yes. Cool. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit more when we get back here, Tom. Let me, let's take another break here. Thank another sponsor. We're grateful for those that support us. So we'll be right back. Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at Mules and More magazine. Mules and More has been around a long time. It's a great magazine. And uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years, and she has done an amazing job. Um, also, did you know that Meals More comes in a digital format? You can download it on your phone, read it wherever you're at. So, hey, be sure to check them out, mealsmore.com. And, uh, you know, hey, tell them Ty sent you. I'd be very grateful. Mealsmore.com. Hey, I want to jump on here real quick and give a big shout out to my buddy Colt Nairing. Um, if you're looking for a good custom built saddle that fits mules and fits you, you need to check out Colt Saddlery. You find him on Facebook, Colt Saddlery, and uh, tell him Ty sent you. He will take good care of you. Okay, Tom. Uh, so we, we was just, you was just getting into talking about how you're passionate about this and that's why we do it why you do why you do what you do and i do what i do we're mm-hmm. always on break here we kind of was talking about you know the horse training world and you know i mentioned that 
you know, one, at one point I added up my hours and what I was making and it was less than a dollar an hour, you know, and right. I kind of made right. you feel bad. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. and, and it probably would be the same thing for your Hackmore stuff and your, your rawhide business, but, but that's not the point. Right. Right. And pretty much anything that's probably the same in pretty much all of this ag industry. You know, I, I would consider both of our careers agricultural, mm-hmm. right? I mean, agricultural based, right? Absolutely. And it's the same as the farmer, the rancher, you know, the trainer, uh, the guy selling whatever tack and gear. Um, we do it because we love it. Right. Yep. And, um, and I, when you talked about your, your kids earlier and it kind of got me to think a little bit, are, are they interested in this? Uh, I mean, are you going to be passing this tradition on to them? That's, that's my, that's my whole hopes and goals. My, my oldest, he's, he's not, he's, mm-hmm. it's not his cup of tea, yeah. which is fine. He, he likes baseball, <laughs> but uh, my youngest two are, they, they thoroughly enjoy it. Um, they'll come out and they help. We have a game when we're actually fleshing the meat and fat off of the hides to see who can get the biggest piece. Oh yeah. And, and them two, you know, at, at six and, and four years old was out fleshing with a knife doing heights and them too, them too thoroughly enjoy it. And I'm hoping that, that this is something I can pass on to them and hopefully get them through college on it. Really, you know, producing strings for other people and, and doing a little bit of braiding so that they can, they can still go to school and, and go to college, but have a way to, to make some money and do it. Um, and it's, and it, and the culture, you know, the other thing that we always forget is a lot of us, thoroughly enjoy horses and equine and stuff because, because it is a culture, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it's something that we need to pass on to, to different generations. And and I think if we don't take pride in those, those different cultures and, and things that soon those stories and everything else are going to go to the wayside. Oh yeah. And I, I, I do feel like the rawhide is among the first to fade off. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't, um, you are the only rawhide braider that I know personally you know as a friend i mm-hmm. mean i i know of all these guys and i bought right. gear from different people but you're the only one i know as a friend making this stuff mm-hmm. and uh you know and i got a, quite a range you know that that i spread out on you know doing these clinics and stuff right. so it's definitely fading so it's pretty cool that you're hanging on to this and and the tradition of it the culture of it is just amazing um it's it's truly an art you yes know? Is there a piece of gear that is your favorite? Like, is there something that, you know, if somebody calls you to order that, you're like, yes, that's my, what I like. It's, it's probably a set of reins. Oh yeah. Yep. A and, set of reins. And, and especially when the customer, the customer wants you to, to build what you want to build. They, mm-hmm. what they want, they, they want something custom, but they give you kind of the freedom to do, to really expand and try new button patterns and, and, and it kind of allows you to push, to push those limits and try some new stuff and try and make something prettier than what you did last time. Oh yeah. You just yes. made a set for my wife that is, she loves them. Good. I mean, those are, those are beautiful yep. Rimmel reins, you know, and you do a great job. And those, and those were super fun. Cause you, you told me what she wanted lengths and, and, and that, and it was, it was able to, to build, to build kind of the art into it. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when somebody calls and they want six buttons and this button and that button and this button, then it's, it's kind of like a factory. We, 
let's let's hurry and get it. Yeah, maybe a little bit more stressful for you. Yeah, because you're like, okay, I got to get this right. But yep, you know, like when I called you to order that set for Sky, I said, well, this is the main thing that I needed for that was the length because she has that little meal called cupcake uh-huh. that's got that little teeny neck. I mean, you can reach farther than her head is ahead of you. <laughs> you, yes. know, you can you can <laughs> scratch your eyes. I mean, just you know. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, so that was the main thing. But the rest of it, I said. Yeah, do what you think, because yep. I don't really have a particular disc and, and the buttons and things like that and whatever. So, and that was, and that was really fun because we were able to, to do a couple different products. You know, we did a traditional scraped hide for the bodies mm-hmm. and then did limed hide, you know, for the buttons. And it was, it was fun to explore that art and, and build something. Yeah. The contrast you know, is really pretty on that. Yep. You know, so, so, so you build, I mean, you're, you're building mill reins. You build bozals, riatas, mm-hmm. um, and then you, I mean, you you can braid these buttons, these um, like these little pineapple knots. That's what you call them on the end of the yeah, Maca- yeah pineapple knot at the end of the macadis. I mean, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and you want to see? You said you want to see this stuff last a long time. You hope you hope a yes. hundred years from now somebody has a Tom Peterson uh, bozal or or range or something, and they might not know who that who you are, but they got right. that piece of gear. Well, in order for it to last a hundred years, how how do we take care of this thing, right? right. Um, you've given me some rawhide leather cream from I can't remember uh, J Adcott. J Adcott, you you like that? But yep. why don't you tell the audience here? How, I mean, okay, they buy a they buy a piece of gear from you like this rawhide gear, um, and really this stuff applies to the leather too. But mm-hmm. um, but they buy this piece of gear from you. They got to take care of it. How do they do it? Yeah. So so one of the one of the biggest mistakes I see with rawhide is if you have a set of reins or, or a bozal or anything like that, you know, when you hang it kind of like we talked earlier, hang it, hang it in the shape you want it to be maintained. Semi, you know, if you have a set of reins, don't just throw them in the back of your truck after they've been all muddy and let your saddle <laughs> sit on them and, and be kinked and then think you're going to straighten them out. Yep. You know, lay them out on your seat straight with rawhide. If, if it gets wet and soggy, you know, hang your reins up so that they're hanging nice and straight and they'll dry back to that shape and they'll maintain them, them good shapes. Um, to clean them, don't, you don't want to like dunk them in water and, and get them soggy, soaky and, and all that. Just take a, a little brush, a soft brush. I use, it's actually an old uh, shoe shine brush. Okay. Yeah. You know, they just come out of them little packs you get at Walmart mm-hmm. with the shoe shine brush. I use one of those, a little bit of either just dove soap or uh, ivory dish soap just a little bit get you a nice suds going and and scrub them you know with just the suds so that you're not really soaking them up get that dirt cleaned off of them and then you know spray them off with the tap in your sink and and just let them dry once they're dry use you know some type of cream there's a bunch of different creams there's a a rawhide vaquero cream um a lot of guys you know swear by 50, 50, uh, beeswax and, uh, beef tallow, you know, and they mix their own and, and use that. But I, I like to use either, either like that Vaquero cream or, or just the J Adcock cream. Uh-huh. Um, the Adcock cream, I think for the products that I've used has, has been the best, but you know, just clean it good. You know, you don't need to, to scrape it, but I think that will help maintain that. And then you don't want to over over cream them 
you know, you don't want them so soft with cream that they're just falling apart. Um, use them, let them get dirty, then clean them up and, and, and oil them when they start to get really dry, you know, and that's, that's the biggest maintenance thing that I think people can do is just, just kind of keep it cleaner and, and make sure you keep some cream on it, but it doesn't need to be every week. It could be once a year, you pull them out, clean them up and, and get some cream in them. Yeah. Keeping that life in them. Yes. Um, it's the same thing with the saddles. Keep keeping. I mean, it sounds kind of funny saying it, but you got to kind of keep the rawhide and the leather alive. Yes. You got to keep that. I mean, at the end of the day, leather and rawhide, it's skin. And mm-hmm. you got to keep that. You got to keep that alive, you know. And, yep. Um, keep cool. it nourished. And, yeah. Yep. Well. Uh, and then the only thing I would add is, is use your gear. Yes. You know, I, this, this sounds crazy, but I, I hate seeing, I would rather braid a set of reins and have somebody call me in a year and say they got hung up on panels and destroyed <laughs> than they've been hanging on my wall yeah. in my tax shed yeah. for two years, but I haven't put them on because they're pretty yet. Yeah. What, what do you tell me every time you sell me something or hand me something? Wear it out. Wear it out. Wear That's it out. what you say every time. You yep. Every time <laughs> I get something from Tom, wear it out. There you go. And, uh, yeah, and I, I do <laughs> I use yeah. it up. So, um, we've kind of covered a lot of the, the rawhide stuff that I, I wanted to present in this episode, Tom, but, um, the other thing is kind of just more pertaining to you. So wh- where are you headed from here? Like, what's your, what's your goals with, uh, you know, with, with the rawhide and, y- and your business, where are you headed? Right. So. So uh, my, my real goal, and, and it's a ways out, I'm going to have to retire from my current job first, but mm-hmm. you know, like to, to possibly try and get into the TCA one day. Yeah. That's the, the cowboy, the, the, now I'm getting tongue twisted, the cow Texas cowboy, cowboy arts. arts association, yeah. you know, to get in, to get in there, at least apply to get in there one day and, and, and build a product you know, that's, that's something like some of them guys are throwing out some, some of them Jay Adcots and, and those guys in the TCAA and, and Argentina. I mean, their stuff is just beyond amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, that's really my goal one day is to, to try and throw an app in there and say, maybe I could get up with them. Big oh boys. yeah. I have no doubt, Tom, you'll, you'll be there. I mean, yeah. you, you do a good job. You're an artist, you're an artist and you really are. So. Well, is there anything else that uh, we didn't kind of cover about the rawhide and the hackamores and ramels? Anything else that you you would like the audience to, to I, kind of know? I would just hope that they would feel comfortable with with any braiders or or anybody. I think knowledge is knowledge is 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 power, you know. And and the more knowledge you can get, the better off you are. And and don't be afraid to reach out, um, you know, to to guys like Ty and and even myself, because I enjoy educating people on this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you're not ordering from me or, or you want to know other people that you can get products from, um, I would, I would just say, reach out to them and, and communicate with them. That's, that's the biggest thing. I think that's something we're losing as a society is, is the ability to really reach out for whatever reason yeah. that is, is I think, I think it's huge. Yeah, I'll just send you a text on it. 
Yeah. Yeah. There, there you go. Yeah. Not text me. Yeah. Just call. Right? Right. <laughs> That's for sure, man. Well, I sure appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Um, for those that, I mean, people are going to hear this. They're going to want to call you and order stuff. I hope you're ready. Yeah. Um, how do they contact you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Is is my phone. Okay. Or or email. Um, my phone number is 435-668-2068. Um, or look me up on Facebook, Thomas Peterson. And, uh, look, look for the firefighter with the beard. Yeah. I got a, I got a big shaggy bull on the front of my, yeah. my page. And okay. Yep. <laughs> and then, and then just understand, you know, things are, things are ways out because of the whole process. You oh yeah. Takes... Yeah. That's not, I can't call you tomorrow and you have it ready for, for me next week. Yep. Right. It's, yep. It's... It takes, takes a couple months, but yep. Yep. You got to go find a dead cow first. I got to find the dead cow. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. really, like people don't realize you really got to go do that kind of stuff. Yep. So that's, that's real. That's just amazing. So many in my freezer back here. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. That process. I got a lot of respect for you because it's the same thing what I'm trying to do uh, on a much different level, I guess. I feel like mine's probably way easier than yours, but get, get the, you know, I just buy them as weanlings, these mules and I just go th- raise them up, snaffle bit, hack more, two rain bridle. You know, I, I'd love to actually r- have the mule born at my place all the way mm-hmm. through that. I love processes like that. So well, and, big respect there. You know, when you, you look at, uh, at training and stuff and, and I hear people, you know, talk about how expensive things are getting now, but I, I don't know how as a, as a trainer or clinician, you really make it because just like we talked about rawhide, the amount of time you put into them, them foals and them winglings, you know, the mm-hmm. feeding, the, the watering and, and everything else. It's um, like, like we said, don't count your hours. Right. Right. <laughs> And, and, and anything you enjoy, I mean, if you're, if you're willing to invest in it, cause you enjoy it, yep. I, I've, I've spent a lot of money traveling to, to clinics on Rawhide. I've been to Pendleton to, to Elko every year. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of travel and a lot of time spent and money paid to, to go to clinics and, and every one of those things have, have benefited me a ton. Oh yeah. So, well, it's, it's just like me, you know, I, I really enjoy education. I love the clinics. I love doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I got to do podcasts like this and other things to, to make a living. You, you do your rawhide, but then you're a firefighter to yep. make your, make your living. And, you know, it seems like all of us in, uh, in the business in and around horses, mules, agriculture, we all have a lot of irons and multiple fires, yep. <laughs> right? So Anyways, this has been a lot of fun, Tom. You guys, be sure to look Tom up. Find him on Facebook, Thomas Peterson. Look for the shaggy bull picture. And then when you click on it, look for the shaggy beard guy. Yeah, look for the shaggy beard. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I appreciate you guys listening today. Uh, As always, it's a a blessing to have you along for the ride here. Uh, If you would be so kind as to leave a review, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating if you feel Tom and I deserve it. And uh, let us know what you think. You can always email your questions to me, ty at tsmeals.com, and happy to get back to you. So anyways, uh, God bless you, and we'll see you down the road.